Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. I will touch on the NCAA kicking off their massive college football weekend. I'll have some NBA news, and then I'll have our best for last. Now, remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for breaking news. And the, and the at is at JTime Sports. It'll put up the black Justin Time Sports logo or the black background with the white logo. And then you will at JTime Sports follow, comment, share all the posts on there, breaking news, all that stuff's on there all the time. So remember, the at is at JTime Sports for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely packed show this week. We have NFL, we have NCAA football, college football is back with crowds. Uh, we missed those crowds. There were some amazing environments last year. We'll definitely get into that. Or last night, I should say. We'll definitely get into that a little later. We have NBA coming up in the show. And of course, as always, we have our best for last. But let's start off in the NFL with the biggest breaking news we had all week. Uh, Cam Newton was released by my New England Patriots. Um, I am a Patriots homer, so you guys know me. I'm a Patriots fan, so I try to look at the Patriots as best I can in terms of I mean, non-fan perspective, but I can't help it if my fandom comes out. And admittedly, I have a Cam Newton jersey in the closet I've only put on once, and now I should try it on when it first came in the mail. Um, but it, he was released by the team. Um, which cleared the decks, obviously, for the Mac Jones era. Now, I, you know, I spoke about the quarterback competitions, and I always said the incumbent had an advantage, and the advantage was we know what he's going to be. So in the preseason, you know, it's very vanilla. It's very mundane. What you see is what you get. If a team lines up and it looks like a cover three, nine times out of ten, it's going to be a cover three. If a team lines up and looks like man coverage, Nine times out of ten is going to be man coverage. It's not going to be a lot of flashy blitzes. You're going to see the blitzes coming. You're going to get a lot of trick coverages because you don't want to put that sort of thing on tape for week one. You want to make it as mundane as possible for your opening week opponent, especially not having your starters in the game. You don't want a backup to tip it off better than a starter would. You know, you don't want to put anything on tape that is too, too, um, complex and too much into your game plan you want to work on your cover three you want to work on your man technique you want to work on individually trying to be blockers you want to work on you know that sort of thing but you don't want to put too much of your scheme on tape if you're if you're a power run team you're going to power run i mean that is what it is if you're like lamar jackson and the crew if you're a pistol base option style team you're going to should put that on tape because that's your offense but anything in terms of scheming a defense even really scheming and patterning an offense you're not going to do too much of that to put it on tape so the starter has an advantage of we've seen your numbers from last year. We know what you are in this league and you have the advantage of, you know, the system already, as opposed to the rookie doesn't really know what's coming his way. And so I spoke about that in all the quarterback competitions, how the incumbent had the advantage, because usually the incumbent has equity with the team. 
when it comes to that equity, you have to basically lose that equity for the new guy to come in unless he just massively outplays you. And so I was looking at Cam Newton. I spoke about it last week. I said at no point in this competition did Cam lose the job. And Belichick stated earlier during the offseason, Cam has to lose it, basically. A guy has to come in and massively outplay Cam in order to take the job. And I said Mac hasn't done that. But I did say that it was close. I did say that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like Mac played bad. Mac played well. Cam also played well. Cam was QB1 on the depth chart. There's no reason to make him QB2, you know? And in my wildest imagination, my wildest of hypotheticals, when I think about this show and think about the opinions I want to give to you guys and how I want to verbalize my opinion, at no point did I ever think I would be saying the words Cam Newton was released before the season started. Maybe if Mac took the job and Cam requested his release because he wanted to go try to jump on a winner that had an injured quarterback or something, that's something I considered. You know, that's something like Denver with Teddy Bridgewater. You know, if Denver started out five and two and then Teddy goes down, do you want Cam Newton or do you want Drew Locke? You know, I was thinking about a uh, Chargers. You know, they start off four and two. Herbert goes down. Do you want Cam Newton or do you want whoever the backup is for the Chargers? You know, uh, New Orleans. Do you want um, so that they're going to put Trevor Simeon as their backup after a few roster machinations? Do you want Trevor Simeon or do you want Cam Newton? You know, I was thinking about situations like that. Tampa Bay has Super Bowl aspirations. Do you want whoever the backup is in Tampa or you want Cam Newton? That's what I was thinking if a situation arose like that. You know, maybe Cam would request his release if Mac was a starter and go try to move on to Granite Pastures. I didn't think I would be saying this before the season even started. I mean, Cam Newton was one of the not one of the 53 guys on the roster. Um, insanity. Uh, of course, what was the first thing people jumped to? Oh, Cam's unvaccinated. He had the vaccination incident in uh, this in that last week of preseason where Cam, where Mac, excuse me, had the opportunity to go against the Giants' number one defense and shredded them to the point where the Giants players were so upset and so angry that they actually schemed on beating Mac the next day and he his numbers fell way down uh from the previous day they actually schemed against the Patriots offense instead of just lining up and running whatever they were going to run they schemed to beat the Patriots offense and like I said Mac's numbers took a nosedive from the tremendous something like 35 or 40 day um including two 75 yard touchdowns you know it was so much pub about how oh Mac Jones shredded the Giants Mac Jones shredded the Giants that they went in to embarrass the kid and they actually did a pretty good job of shutting him down but that opportunity would not have been afforded to Mac had Cam Newton not uh, had a COVID incident. And he didn't even test positive. He was a close contact. But being unvaccinated, he had to go through a mandatory five-day quarantine. Actually, it wasn't even a close contact. I'm sorry. It was a misunderstanding of the COVID rules. Um, it was a team-approved medical appointment, if you guys remember correctly, where Cam was out of the area on a pre-approved medical appointment. It was some I don't know exactly what the medical appointment was. Um, I believe at one point I read it was something to do with a nagging injury that he was getting a second opinion on. But regardless, the team had pre-approved the trip. The team, you know, it was approved. And Cam was testing every day, etc. But he had to undergo different protocols because he was unvaccinated. And it was a misunderstanding. That misunderstanding, unfortunately, put him on the sideline for five days in a row. Then during those five days, Mac Jones had a great week of practice, followed it up with a pretty solid third preseason game. And I woke up or rather I get the alert on my phone that Cam Newton is no longer a Patriot. Um, Bill Belichick was bluntly asked, did the is vaccination a reason Cam is gone? He said no. He said the media keeps saying that, but that wasn't the case. 
um, you know, I have on good authority, I have on good sourcing that vaccination has been the decider on several players, uh, whether that's bringing them in or let, keeping or keeping them. Your vaccination status has been a topic of discussion. Why is your vaccination status a decider? You know, vaccination is a personal choice. However, it's a risk to the team. And you got guys like Jerry Jones saying, yes, vac- a vaccination, getting vaccinated is for the team. It's not necessarily for you, but you look at it as a team person. You can't be a team player and be unvaccinated. Why? Something like Cam Newton. If Cam Newton is vaccinated, he could just do two negative tests in 24 hours and he's back on the field. He might have missed a day, maybe. Or when he found out he violated, he tested Sunday, tested Monday, he's on the field. Um, being unvaccinated, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about testing. It was you're gone for five days, test while testing every day. We'll see you after the end of the five days. Um, you know, so you look at not being there. Tampa Bay and Atlanta are the only two organizations in the league who are top to bottom, they're vaccinated. That's staff, that's coaches, that's players. They're 100% vaccinated all the way through the league. It's only two teams like that. Um, the NFL is at a 93% vaccination rate. That leaves about 150 players, give or take, unvaccinated. And considering there's only two teams with fully vaccinated staffs and players, that leaves 31, 30 other teams vulnerable to having a COVID outbreak. You know, the Indianapolis Colts, they are going through a COVID outbreak. Carson Wentz is unvaccinated. Uh, the Tennessee Titans went through a COVID outbreak. Ryan Tannehill is unvaccinated. So you're con- strongly considering the possibility of going into several important games without your quarterback. And so I believe that Bill Belichick believes that availability is one of the best abilities, if not the best ability. And so he's considering that, man, what if we're seven and two or whatever? Or we're, you know, not even that. We're battling for a playoff spot. It's week 15. We are one game up, you know, on the wild card. And Cam tests positive as an unvaccinated player. He's gone for two weeks. So now we have to hurry up and prep this rookie to go against these teams. We lose two out of three games and we're not in the playoffs. Then what? Cam Newton's vaccination status would cost you a playoff game. And so I believe that that is going to be something that we're going to have to watch out for on a lot of different cases. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars are under investigation right now because of possible suspicions that vaccination status were the reason they were releasing players. Again, that is illegal to do in the NFL. They're not going to punish you for being unvaccinated unless you become a COVID contact or a COVID patient. You're not going to be punished for being unvaccinated. If you're an unvaccinated player, a la DeAndre Hopkins, um, last I checked, he was unvaccinated. If he never gets a COVID situation, the league cannot touch him. Once he violates COVID protocol, once he tests positive for COVID, it's a close contact, etc. That's when the league would come down on him a lot harder than they would a vaccinated player. Uh, of course, we had the Buffalo Bills with Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is famously unvaccinated. He argues against the vaccination at every turn on Twitter. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie was right along with him, saying that the NFL got him too, quote unquote, and because he was an unvaccinated player. All of what a couple days later, he had a shot in his arm. He was showing us his CDC card online because the NFL came down on him with a twelve thousand five hundred dollar fine for Cole Beasley. Not a lot of money for a rookie. It was a substantial chunk of change, or uh, for a guy his first contract, a substantial chunk of change for something as simple as getting a needle in your arm. 
Um, so he ultimately decided to go get vaccinated. And I'm thinking that that's going to happen to a lot of guys. Lena Fournette was famously anti-vax to the point where he was one of the guys on Twitter when DeAndre Hopkins was jokingly half seriously considering retirement over the vaccine. Fournette was saying he didn't know either. Well, he plays for the Bucks, and the Bucks announced they were 100% vaccinated. So Fournette came around too. I'm sure that there was guys in the locker room and management saying that, look, you want to be a part of this team, a heavy part, you're going to need to get yourself vaccinated. And so that is something that is huge to look out for on the market. You know, I'm sure the vaccination status of any free agents being picked up is going to be discussed. And we're going to and they're going to track how many vaccinated free agents are picked up uh, as opposed to unvaccinated. So that is something we're definitely going to keep our eye on there. But as far as Cam Newton's future, I think he should do what I would say he probably would have done during the season, which is wait. I don't see Cam Newton jumping on the first opportunity to sign a vet minimum contract to come into camp as a practice squad player or the third string quarterback. I wait. I wait on a Denver, you know, if a Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. I wait on a Tampa if a Tom Brady gets hurt. I wait on a New Orleans if a Jameis Winston gets hurt. I wait on a Giants if Daniel Jones goes down. I wait on the Chargers if Justin Herbert. You know, I wait on a Cleveland if Baker Mayfield. You know, I wait on one of these guys in a good situation with a chance to win big uh, win football games to go down and then I jump into that spot or I rest the year and I go to somebody's camp in free agency and I go to work there uh, Cam could use the year off his body could use the year off and that is definitely something that I would do if I'm Cam Newton I would just wait on the perfect opportunity heal up rest and recover and be ready to go but with Cam Newton out that means Mac Jones is in giving Alabama three NFL starters at quarterback in the position who were all on the roster simultaneously. Mac Jones was a freshman to was a sophomore when Jalen Hurts was a junior senior before he headed to Oklahoma. I think the best out of the three is actually Mac. And you know I don't have any love for Mac, quote unquote. Um, I think that he's a poor man's Brady. I think my organization is at the point where we're trying to chase the ghost of Tom Brady. We're trying to find the next Brady. Um, instead of trying to find the next great quarterback for the Patriots, we're trying to find the next Brady um, which I think is going to put us in a horrible spot because I think that's what led to the selection of Mac Jones because what do we hear pre-draft? He's Brady. Um, and so I think that led to the selection of Mac. Um, I think it's going to put us in a bad team-building exercise trying to find Brady. I mean, that lightning in a bottle, lightning lightning in a keyhole, basically. Um, and so I think that's going to be a problem. But I think Mac Jones is the best out of the three. I don't believe in two. I don't believe in Hurts. I don't really believe in Mac Jones, but he's in New England. Um, Hurst is on a cesspool of organization led by Nick Sirianni, Jeffrey Lurie, um, and the rest of that ownership management team. And then two is in a great situation. I just don't see it. I could be wrong. I just don't see it. And I, I'm not a huge Tua guy. Um, there's nothing really special about him. I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I mean, they play us week one. So I'm going to be watching full-fledged Mac versus Tua, uh, the last two quarterbacks at Alabama to win championships and last quarterbacks that period but i'm going to be definitely watching to see if to how far he has come since last season i don't take preseason into account again we spoke about how vanilla it is how a lot of times it's backups how many guys aren't playing their starters um so when you got a situation like that and you got a quarterback trying to prove himself as to is i don't take a lot from having to see those preseason numbers i mean they don't really mean much i mean Preseason got Tony Romo to the point where he's saying Zach Wilson is the next Aaron Rodgers and is going to be a top three quarterback in the uh, NFL in short order. I mean, preseason fools a lot of guys into a lot of things. 
the Baltimore Ravens haven't lost a preseason game in five years. What Super Bowl do they have to show for it? Um, and so I would, I like Mac Jones. Don't really like Jalen Hurts. Not a fan of Tua, but I mean, hey, Nick Saban's got three starters at quarterback in the NFL, and I think his next one is currently playing there in Bryce Young. Again, we'll touch on that in the college football topic. Uh, just a little news. Aaron Rodgers seems to be mending the fence with Matt LaFleur. He posted on his Instagram story. He's more of a story guy than a post guy. I remember that's what the last dance photo was posted. It was on his Instagram story. Goes away in a day. Uh, very Aaron Rodgersy, meaning that I feel this way today. I may not feel this way tomorrow. I don't want to put it on my actual page and leave it there. I'll put it on my story, in and out. Uh, but he posted a picture of him with one arm around Matt LaFleur smiling. He was listening to be chummy. Uh, with the caption of uh, something on the lines of they said it wouldn't work or something like that. You know, some kind of snarky comment in regards to uh, saying their relationship was bad and saying they wouldn't work together. Um, so it seems to be he's mending the fence with Matt LaFleur. I remember on Jeopardy, the guy asked, trolled Aaron and was like, uh, who called that play on, who called that field goal on fourth down or something like that? And Aaron was like, I'd like to know the questions to that too. Um, so you get... You know, they were, there's, there's good Aaron and there's snarky Aaron. And so he was snarky Aaron on Jeopardy. Nice seems to be good Aaron on Instagram stories. Uh, hopefully for the Packers sake, he continues to be good Aaron and that he and Matt LaFleur work together in order to try and bring the Packers their elusive uh, title, that they've, their elusive second title in the Aaron Rodgers era that they have been desperately after. You know, and, and you can see the moves Brian Kuhnkens, uh, Mark Murphy are trying to do. They brought back Randall Cobb. It was pretty much a olive branch. They're not going to do anything else. They didn't have a salary cap to manage and a team to manage, but they did bring back Randall Cobb. If they have a linebacker injury, Dan Rodgers has been vocal about how he wants Clay Matthews. Maybe Clay Matthews comes strolling back in the door if they have an injury at linebacker. So we'll definitely see. Uh, so start with Aaron putting his arm around Matt LaFleur. Uh, will we ever see him within six feet? Uh, Mark Murphy or Brian Gudenkins, who knows? But uh, it's definitely something that we're going to keep our eye on there in Green Bay. Uh, Zach Ertz seems to have changed his tune. I remember earlier in the offseason, Zach Ertz desperately wanted out of Philadelphia. Wasn't going to go back to the Eagles. A couple days ago, he says he wants to retire in Philly. To me, that sounded like a player who tested his market, didn't like what he heard. Um, a lot of times when you trade a veteran, they want a new contract immediately. Uh, I think he's coming up towards the end of his deal. Which is why he wanted out to try and secure a new deal on a specific team, probably. Um, didn't like what he heard. And so he changed his tune to where he wants to retire in Philadelphia. Um, if I'm Dallas Goddard, I'm not happy about that. Who is he? He's the Eagles current second string tight end behind Zach Ertz. I'm not happy about that at all. But um, yeah, that definitely sounds like a guy who heard not so great things from the market uh his agent probably heard you know they're not looking to pay you what you're looking for you might get your deal out of philly oh, or he may go to the market straight up and then he can pin in the public i wanted to stay the team let me go kind of thing uh, you're starting to hear that a lot more from players that organization made decisions that they didn't agree with uh, or that they didn't want and so they were forced to move on so very interesting thing there from uh, Zach Ertz, Philadelphia Eagles tight end Zach Ertz. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to jump into predictions for the NFL season. So we're going to stick in the NFL and we're going to take a quick break.
Alrighty, and we are back sticking with the NFL. And we're going to jump into prediction time, our final predictions, our final just-in-time sports predictions for the NFL season. We're going to jump right into them. We're going to start off with the playoff picture. We're going to look at the division winners. So in the NFC, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers, the Washington football team, and the Los Angeles Rams. Making the wild card out of the NFC, I have the Seattle Seahawks, the New Orleans Saints, and the Minnesota Vikings with a potential caveat of the Arizona Cardinals. The reason why I'm placing a potential caveat in the Arizona Cardinals is because I'm tossed up between them and the Vikings. I ultimately picked the Vikings because the division's easier than the NFC West. The NFC North, the Vikings are the second best team. Roster-wise, the Cardinals are the fourth best team in the NFC North, as NFC West rather, as much as I love Kyler Murray. But I'm going to asterisk the Vikings and have the Arizona Cardinals there just in case. But officially, we're going to go with Vikings, but we're going to asterisk the Cardinals in there um, very much so. And in the AFC, I'm going to have the Buffalo Bills, the Indianapolis Colts, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Baltimore Ravens. And in the wild card in the AFC, I'm going to have the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, of course, the two things that probably jump right out to you. That is in the NFC, well, where is the San Francisco 49ers? You know, where are the 49ers? Where are the 49ers? I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be playing by week five, either due to injury or skill. And I don't trust Trey Lance just yet to get this team to the playoffs. The NFC is pretty tough. I don't trust him to get there. If Trey Lance is starting quarterback, they're going to have the fourth best quarterback in the division. I mean, talent-wise, Jimmy Garoppolo is the fourth best quarterback in the division already because I believe I, I, I know Russell Wilson's better. I know Matt Stafford's better. I, I strongly believe Kyler Murray's better. You may have a debate on that, but I don't think there's any debate at all. I strongly believe Kyler Murray's better than Jimmy Garoppolo right this second. And so because of which, they already have the fourth best quarterback. You, you're pretty much depending on the roster to overcome. Well, if you throw away the experience, Jimmy Garoppolo, and you put in Trey Lance, even though he's more talented, I don't think he's as talented as Kyler Murray, and he doesn't have nearly Kyler Murray's experience. And so I would give the Cardinals the edge to get the third spot in the uh, if the three NFC West teams are going to make it. I would give the Cardinals the advantage if it came down to it. Um, and then, of course, in the AFC, who's missing? The Titans are missing, the Steelers are missing, and the Bengals are in. Um, every year, I believe that there's always a team that shocks us. Um, I don't think the Vikings would be a shock. I said it a few a couple months ago when I first did these. I don't think the Vikings would be a shock. They were injured last year, although very injured last year. And so they didn't uh, get a chance to really get rolling all season. So them making it shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, and so that's why I would have the Vikings in the NFC. The Bengals would be the shock team. Well, 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 we're probably thinking, well, Justin, hey, you've gone off your rocker. What, what, what the hell are you doing having the Bengals in the playoffs? Okay, quarterback talent. Joe Burrow, right now, I would take over Ben Roethlisberger. Say what you want. I would take Joe Burrow right now over Ben Roethlisberger. But then no, the number one receiver, Jamar Chase, can't catch. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the last of Jamar Chase's problems in the NFL. Catching. Injuries, we don't know. Ability to translate speed, mm, he's got that. Athleticism, he's got that. I'm pretty sure catching is going to be the one thing we don't have to worry about with Jamar Chase's career. Not worried about that at all. That offensive line is horrible. 
Is it? They've got two good tackles and a pretty good center. Yeah, it's not great. It's not Cleveland's O-line, but it's solid. That defense is terrible. Is it? I can't name one person off of it right now. For a million dollars, name one person on the Bengals defense. I can't. That defense is pretty solid last year. They got into a couple shootouts in certain situations. They got in a shootout with Baltimore, got in a shootout with um, Cleveland. But oftentimes, their defense folded in the second half because the offense didn't do anything, especially once Joe Burrow got hurt. Look, the schedule aligned well. The schedule aligned pretty well to get them 10 wins. Now, will 10 wins get them in? I believe it will. Uh, but I strongly believe 10 wins will get the Cincinnati Bengals in. They might, they might not, but I believe the Bengals will win 10 games. That is going to be my shocker team. That is going to be the team I have to make the playoffs that no one is going to see coming. There's always one a year, at least one, most of the time two teams. No one sees coming, and those teams are going to make the playoffs. Um, and so I would have the Bengals as that team this year. I strongly stood on that. And with the Titans, I have the Titans out. Um, they lost Arthur Smith, the offense coordinator, to the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. You know, yeah, how he seemed to be a Tannehill whisperer. How well is Tannehill going to do without his OC? Um, plus, that division is harder now. Jacksonville is not going to be a pushover. Trevor Lawrence will not be a pushover. Now, will you beat? Will they beat Jacksonville both times? More than likely, but it's going to be harder. Houston's not great, but you got Indianapolis now with a dynamic quarterback in Carson Wentz, who's not going to be just standing back there like Philip Rivers. So, if that that being the case. I say the Colts are going to put a licking on them. Like I said, the Bengals are going to be my shock team to come out and make the playoffs. Um, Browns and Ravens will coin flip for the division. I have Ravens winning it, but it wouldn't shock me at all if the Browns win and the Ravens get the wild card spot out of the AFC North. So that would not shock me in the slightest. Um, And now we're going to move on to individual awards. Uh, for individual awards, I'm going to go my MVP prediction will be Tom Brady. Although, same thing like I did for the playoffs, asterisks in Kyler Murray. If the Arizona Cardinals make the playoffs, Kyler Murray is my MVP. If I had to bet right now, I would place two bets. One on Brady, one on Kyler. Kyler's going to pay a lot more out than Brady does for obvious reasons, but I would have Brady then Kyler. If Kyler gets them in the playoffs... He should win the MVP because no one's going to see that coming. That's a projected fourth place team by every single website out there. So to go from fourth place to probably 10, 11 wins on the playoffs, that should be the MVP without a shadow of a doubt. Offensive rookie of the year, I'm going to go Mac Jones. Just because I think he's going to win more than any of the other rookies. Um, He's starting out his season, which is something Justin Fields can't say. Um... You know, which is, you know, there was five quarterbacks in the first round. Trevor Lawrence is going to start. Zach Wilson is going to start. Justin Fields is not going to start. Um, I'm missing a quarterback at the top of my head right now. It's frustrating me. But Mac Jones is going to start. So that's something that Justin Fields may be able to put up better numbers, won't be able to say. Um, you know, so Mac's probably going to win 10, 11 games. That's something none of the – oh, Trey Lance is the other one. He's not going to start either. And so um, he's, Mac Jones is probably going to quarterback his way to – Anywhere from 9 to 11, 12 wins. That's something that none of the rest of them can say. Um, and so if he keeps the ship steady, has a 22 touchdown, 8 pick kind of year, maybe he don't get 27 touchdowns like Baker got his rookie year. But 25 touchdowns, 80 interceptions, 3,750 yards, 65% completion percentage, 11 and 6. He's got rookie of the year 
sewn up asking his names on it you know and so that's why i would have mac jones winning it um over like kind of like a trevor lawrence he's won't win enough um zach wilson won't win enough receivers really don't have a shot at if a quarterback's playing well trey lance and, and justin fields aren't starting so i would give it i would have mac jones as the advantage there defensive rookie of the year i'm gonna go micah parsons uh i thought about patrick Sertain here um but linebackers over corners linebackers that have more impressive stats plus michael parsons has the advantage of the hard knocks uh, a lot of these awards are storyline based and so being the defensive rookie on hard knocks is a great storyline and gets your campaign started and so i would give michael parsons the advantage over patrick Sertain for defensive rookie of the year offensive player of the year i'm gonna stay with brady there no asterisks uh defensive player of the year seattle seahawks middle linebacker bobby wagner I thought about going Jamal Adams here, um, but I'm going to go Bobby Wagner. Uh, Seattle's due for an individual award, um, and I think they're going to have a great season. He may have 110 tackles, you know, so I think Bobby Wagner is going to be in the middle of a pretty great Seattle defense, top five, seven in the league. If that's the case, he has a hell of a shot at a defensive player of the year. Comeback player of the year, I'm going to go Derwin James. You know, he's been out the past couple years with injuries. If the Chargers are going to make the playoffs, Derwin's going to have to be healthy and playing really well. Um, and I believe that's going to be the case. So I'm going to go with Derwin James as comeback player of the year. And coach of the year, I'm going to go Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals, who's going to have to be coach of the year if the Bengals make the playoffs, like I predict, at 10-7. and seven. Um, So just to run through that one more time, MVP Brady with an asterisk of Kyler. Uh, rookie of the year on offense, Mac Jones. Rookie of the year on defense, Micah Parsons. Offensive player of the year, Brady. Defensive player of the year, Bobby Wagner of the Seahawks. Comeback player of the year, Derwin James, safety of the Chargers. And coach of the year, uh, Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. But up next, we're going to shift, uh, same sport, different level, to college football's massive opening weekend. Their week one is, is and is going to be absolutely insane. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump into college football's massive, and I do mean massive, opening week. We've got ranked matchups all over the country. Uh, I love when college football does this. Um, I love when they do the first week, man. It's just boom after boom. It's all the agreements you hear about three, four years in advance that you kind of forget about, um, and then they just pop back up. Like, for instance, LSU and USC. That is going to be a ranked matchup in 2025. It's scheduled already in Vegas. That is going to be a ranked game. And as an LSU fan, tried and true between LSU and Southeastern, it's my alma, my alma maters, um, I am going to forget about that game. And then in 2025, it's going to be on the schedule. I'm going to be like, oh, crap, I got to go to Vegas for Labor Day weekend, um, you know, to go watch LSU play in Allegiant Stadium. But that is going to be a ranked game. When you get a game, like we're going to get uh, Georgia Clemson, for instance, that game was agreed upon years ago um, before any of the kids that are currently on the team were eligible to even be going to college. That game was already on their schedule in the recruitment process. I'm sure that's brought up in recruitment. You know, oh, we're scheduled to play Georgia during during your junior year. It's going to be a nice TV game, etc. You know, these games are agreed about long before the kids who are going to play them are even on campus. 
Uh, so I love this opening weekend. It gives a lot of, not necessarily dream matchups, but huge, huge matchups that you would not get on a regular schedule, that you won't get in conference. Um, even teams that are geographically close to each other, a la Clemson, which is in South Carolina and Georgia, so they're touching, the states are touching, um, you won't get that in a regular season, you know? So it, it's, it's not an NFL where they rotate schedules in, where you're going to play everybody at least once every four years, um, or all the big teams once every four years. You might not play, Clemson and Georgia might not play for another 20 years. Uh, in terms of regular season, I didn't match up in the playoff, match up in the playoff. But in terms of on the schedule, they might not be scheduled to play another, for another 20 years. So I love this opening weekend. You know, let's start off with games that were on last night. Um, one game I'm going to touch on quickly and then we're going to move on, which is uh, Bowling Green in Tennessee. Not a huge big matchup, but I want to take a look at Joe Milton. Um, I liked him at Michigan. He didn't look great at Michigan, but I saw a lot of potential there. He's mobile. He's huge. Uh, he gave me not really Cam Newton vibes, but he's got that big body with the athleticism of a Cam Newton. So I saw that immediately, and his arm is a cannon. Unlike a Cam Newton, his Joe Milton's throwing motion is very natural. It's very effortless. Cam Newton always looks like it hurts to throw. Like he's putting his whole body into a 15-yard laser. For Joe Milton, it's flick of the wrist and it's 40. Um, so you get a big buy like that with that athleticism. He's going to make somebody very happy. I would love to see him in New England. I would love to see him with a quarterback developer, with a Sean Payton um, in New Orleans with, you know, somebody's going to really take their time with him and develop him to be their guy. I believe Joe Milton has a very bright future in the NFL. And I wanted to watch it last night. He made a couple of throws that were just, I mean, like I said, flipped the wrist, the ball's 45 yards on a rope. Um, so I wanted to take, take a look at that. He played well. Played better than the numbers would suggest. With the numbers were good, but he played better than the numbers would suggest. Um, so I definitely want to take a look at that. Um, but I want to get your guys to get you noticing and looking at Tennessee football. And I'm an SEC guy, and I usually ignore Tennessee, but I'm going to watch a lot of Tennessee games to keep watching Joe Milton play, especially better competition than Bowling Green. Bowling Green is a good program, but they can't compete athlete for athlete with Tennessee, even when Tennessee's down. But with a new coach, with a new style offense, Tennessee's going to roll score a lot of points. Um, so I'm going to definitely keep my eye on Tennessee, specifically for Joe Milton. And I suggest you guys do the same, especially if you have an older, you're a fan of an NFL team with an older quarterback and you don't really like your session plan or you're a fan of a team that may be moving off from their young quarterback soon. Miami could be looking to move off from Tua. Uh, no promise. Jameis is the guy next year in New Orleans. Um, Daniel Jones is on a shorter leash in New York with the Giants. Um, and so I found a fan of one of those teams. Russell Wilson's aging. I know he's not old, but Russell Wilson's aging. Um, you know, so if I'm a fan of one of those teams, I'm keeping my eye on Joe Milton. Maybe he's a second, third round pick quarterback that you guys could maybe draft and develop. But moving into the games, uh, the other game last night, the big game last night was Minnesota versus Ohio State. Ohio State was 14 and a half point favorites, end up winning by, I think, 14. So bad beat whoever picked over. Um, but that was a great game. Of course, it was the first uh, college start for C.J. Stroud. Um, everybody wanted to see that. Ryan Day has still never lost to a Big Ten opponent. Remember, Urban Meyer had a crazy streak in the Big Ten as well. So Ohio State's clearly king of the Big Ten. Though Ohio State still has not head coached a loss against a Big Ten opponent. Absolutely crazy. Uh, but C.J. Stroud struggled early, and Minnesota came to play. They had a running back who I need to check on his injury status, um, if I had to guess, 
it was an Achilles, unfortunately. I can't even, uh, I won't even begin to, you know, I won't even begin to hypothesize that it's not an Achilles injury. Um, you literally saw his leg buckle. It reminded me of when you saw the shockwave through Ke Kevin Durant's leg in the finals. You know, and, I, and I'm no TV doctor. I'm not going to watch and go, oh, that's a broken ankle or I mean, that's obvious, some of that stuff's obvious or that's an ACL. Okay, I do that a lot. I'm not even going to sit here and try to do that. I, mean, I do that a lot. Seeing him plant his toe, the heel comes down and the calf buckles. It almost looks like it exploded in his leg. That's an Achilles. That is the Achilles stretches. Basically, it'll roll up your calf. You know, I mean, Achilles is in your calf muscle. And if it disconnects and it pops on either side, the release of the tension will make your calf look like it exploded. Almost like you get like a muscle spasm, like it's just a giant muscle spasm because it's just releasing all the tension from that muscle, from that tendon. That's what it looked like. And I haven't gotten a medical update on him. I'm sure they may have, I mean, I'm sure they're running MRIs. Um, but hopefully he's okay. Hopefully it's not a torn Achilles. Um, because that's, oh my God, that's devastating for a running back. Um, but he was right. He had 20 carries for like a buck 30 and like two scores. Uh, he was or 30 carries for a buck 30. Somebody, I mean, he was a workhorse, 29 carries. It was a lot of carries for like a buck 30 and two scores. No, uh, he was really running Ohio State, almost running them off the field at one point. And then after he got hurt, uh, that was a strip six, strip sack six, like right, right around that same time period. And Ohio State pushed out in front. And then our Ohio State offense really started working. And Ryan Day kept a lot of the crossing style routes that um, made Dwayne Haskins a top pick. And then turn around and made Justin Fields a top pick. And there, there's some tough throws in the Ohio State offense. There's some corner routes. There's some deep crossers. But a lot of time it's shallow crossing. It's a lot of levels concepts that if you run a zone defense, people are going to just be running wide open. And so in the second half, you really saw CJ Stroud calm down, relax. Crowds were back. He, I think he was on campus last year, but he wasn't there with crowds. Um, not full crowds, at least. That was a full stadium in Minnesota. Um, it was roaring. It was the first game of the year. Those fans hadn't been in the stadium in two years. They were full throat. Um, and so it was crazy. It was good to see Stroud kind of calm himself down. And you saw the talent flow. They had a running back, freshman running back, touched the ball on a screen pass, 70 yards late, he's in the end zone. Um, the kid was, I mean, the dude's 18. Um, you know, and it's like, um, and then and said, so you saw the talent in Ohio State. All of their touchdowns were 30 yards or longer. Two went 70 plus, two went 50 plus, and the other one was like 34 yards, something like that. Um, so you saw the explosiveness of the Ohio State offense. You saw the talent come out. Like I said, Stroud calmed down in the second half. Um, Alave, I think he touched the ball twice and scored both times. It felt like, uh, or may, I only remember him touching it twice. Both of those times, he ended up in the end zone. Doesn't he's a next great Ohio State receiver? It's very smooth. It's very you don't look like it's not me Michael Thomas. Like Michael Thomas doesn't look like he's running away from you. Doesn't look like he's moving all that fast. And then at the end of the season, he has the most catches in the season ever in the NFL. Uh, C.J. Stroud may not ever do that, but uh, C.J. Stroud, um, Chris Olave may not ever do that, but it's real smooth. It was he didn't look like he was running fast in his second touchdown. He weaved through the entire Minnesota defense and was in the end zone. Um, very good game from Ohio State offensively, defensively. They they got pressure with four on the strip sack six, which is something they could not do last year under Minnesota's new coach PJ Fleck. Um, 
And so that is something that I will definitely keep our Ohio State's going to be in the playoff. I don't see anybody knocking them off in the Big Ten. Maybe Harbaugh finally gets them. Maybe. Um, I doubt it. But, you know, I don't I don't know who's going to beat them in the Big Ten, especially enough to keep them out of the Big Ten championship game. One loss, Ohio State is in the playoff. Um, just because you're going to need something to represent the, the North and the fly, quote unquote flyover country. And so one loss, Ohio State's in. So I expect to see C.J. Stroud in a few months in the playoff battling in front of a full crowd there. Um, I'm going to watch his development. I like Ohio State. I like the program. I'm going to definitely keep my eye on that, especially one of being one of the top teams. All right. Let's move on to this weekend. Um, festivities are tonight with North Carolina. Uh, not really a tough opponent, but they're, you know, if you want to take a look at Sam Howell, projected second quarterback off the board behind Oklahoma Spencer Rattler. Uh, he's going to be on TV tonight. But in the games we're going to talk about. So Bama, Alabama is going to play Miami in Atlanta. Alabama's a 19 and a half point favorite. That feels large. It feels really large. Alabama lost a lot of talent, especially offensively. Najee Harris is the starting running back for the Steelers now. Devontae Smith is the starting receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Waddle is starting receiver for the Miami Dolphins. Mac Jones is starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. Three of their offensive linemen are now starters. Christian Barmore started for the New England Patriots as well. Um, they have, uh, Patrick Satane is a starting cornerback for the Denver Broncos. So they have a lot of the guys who came, who Nick Saban applauded for coming back to school, but they're all gone and they're all starting for NFL teams. Forget playing, they're starting for NFL teams. So they have replaced a lot of talent. Miami is bringing back a lot of that group, including a healthy De'Ara King and his six-year eligibility for Miami. Um, Alabama starting Bryce Young, who's already a millionaire. He's already signed over a million dollars worth of NIL deals. I believe I read a report where he signed two separate um, seven-figure deals for NIL representation. So he's a millionaire um, already in college, um, similar to Quinn Edwards, who is on Ohio State's team as a quarterback. He's already signed an NIL deal with a autograph company worth $1.4 million uh, over the next three years. But Bryce Young has already signed multiple NIL deals worth seven figures, according to something I've read previously. Um, and so he's going to get his first ever start. He's only thrown a handful of passes. This is Derrick King, six year, his second school. And so the experience gap at quarterback is going to be massive. Of course, it's Nick Saban. He's not going to ask Bryce Young to throw 35, 40 times. He's going to ask him to throw, ideally, Anywhere between 18 to 25 times, complete, you know, 70% of them and run their way to a 35 or 38 20 victory uh, in Nick Saban's mind, which wouldn't cover the spread, but that's the kind of game I'm sure Nick Saban would imagine, especially with the first game without Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator, um, who's now the head coach of Texas, who we'll talk about next. Um, if I had a score prediction, I don't, I don't think Bama won't cover. I think Bama will win, I don't think they'll cover. Um, I'll go Alabama 34, Miami 21, or kick up field goal, so 20, 34, 20, Bama. Uh, so if I'm doing the point spread, I'm definitely picking the under uh, in that game. Texas is hosting Lu Louisiana Lafayette, uh, or Louisiana Lafayette, if you're from Louisiana, you say it correctly. So Louisiana Lafayette, um, nine point favorite is Texas. I would pick UL to win this game. Now I know. That is blasphemous. 
um, that UL is going to win this game and Texas is going to be a future SEC team. So that in order to kick off that momentum, you know, in three or four years, Sark's going to have to kick off his campaign with the win, especially over UL, especially being a nine point favorite, especially at home, especially paying UL a million and a half dollars to come to Austin to play this game. Um, and I think UL is going to win that game. That is my upset prediction of the week is that UL will beat Texas. Um, Texas starting a young quarterback as well. Sarks installing a very quarterback friendly but complicated offense. Um, UL's got a lot of talent there. They've been pretty much kings of the Sun Belt for the past few years. And so I'm going to one of those group of five schools. Eventually, no one's going to want to pay to play. They're a great pay to play in terms of they're just in your head. If you're a power school like Texas, I believe they are. They're just good enough to give your team a scare, but not good enough to beat you. Uh, they're good enough to make your team work and have great work to go into the conference schedule, but they're not good enough to beat you. Uh, sort of like Appalachian State was thought of when they started taking down D1 FBS schools and people stopped paying them to come. Um, UL is going to enter that very soon, especially if they beat a Texas. But I think that uh, UL is going to win that game. If, the, if UL loses, they won't lose by more than nine. Um, it would shock me if Texas wins this game by double digits. It will show me that Texas may indeed be back. Uh, I've heard a rumor that uh, the Big 12, speaking of Texas, is going to try and take four schools. Um, they're eyeing four schools to come join the Big 12 to get back to 12. Because currently they're at 10. In two years, they don't have anybody. They'll be at eight. And they're trying to get to 12, uh, including Cincinnati, UCF, um, or a couple of programs I saw that they were targeting to get to 12 ideally having them join in 2025 so they would lose texas and oklahoma and simultaneously absorb these new four schools get back to big to 12 and have um keep their automatic qualifying bid for the uh big time bowl so i believe their automatic qualifiers the fiesta bowl they will want to keep their hands on that a cotton bowl as well they want to keep their hands on that in terms of uh and maybe even join the alliance or join it with the SEC or something, but you know, you know, they want to keep their ranking as a power five. And so uh, again, I'm going to circle ULL as the upset pick against Texas. Uh, Sark's Texas reign will not start off well. I'm rooting for Sark for now until he joins the SEC. But um, you know, I, I I don't think it's going to start off well. I think ULL is going to take those guys out. You know, the big game on the agenda nationally is Georgia Clemson. Now they're separated probably by a couple hundred miles at most because again, Clemson is in South Carolina. Georgia obviously is in Athens, Georgia. And so playing this game, they're again separated probably by a couple hundred miles at most. Um, so it's gonna be a massive game in terms of the territory, in terms of recruiting. This is the game where now, how do you recruit against a school that beats you? Especially for kids in the area. Um, you know, if Clemson beats Georgia, how does Kirby Smart go to a kid who's interested in both schools and say, well, we can recruit against them. If I'm that kid, I'm going to say, yeah, they just beat you, um, especially if it's handily. If I'm saying, but vice versa, how does Dabo Sweeney compete against Kirby Smart recruiting if the kid can go, yeah, but Kirby just kicked your butt, you know, by two, three touchdowns. And so history would say this game is not going to be close. History would say that Clemson's going to blow Georgia out. Uh, over the past eight times, two top five teams have played each other. The... Um, higher ranked team in this kind of matchup has blown out the lower ranked teams seven out of eight times or six out of eight times and then but one seven out of the eight matchups so history would say Clemson's gonna blow georgia out i don't think it's gonna be a blowout but i do think Clemson's gonna win i think dj um, i'm not even gonna try to pronounce that again 
Um, or is a better quarterback than JT Daniels? I believe that Dabo Sweeney's probably going to have his best defense in years under Brett Venables. Um, Georgia is always one of those schools with a lot of top recruits and a lot of top L's and win big games. So I am going to go Clemson here. It's going to win that game. Uh, it's a three-point spread right now. I'd probably say Clemson covers, probably win it by seven, maybe even six. But I'm going to pick Clemson to win that game. Personal game for me, uh, LSU is going to play UCLA in, in the Rose Bowl. Uh, I don't know when the last time LSU's played a game in California where they're going to play UCLA as part of a home-and-home -home series, which UCLA will come back and play in Baton Rouge uh, 2025, the same year LSU's going to play USC in Allegiant Stadium. Um, LSU's currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Max Johnson, who started the last few games of the season, including the Florida game, is going to be the starting quarterback. We've already seen uh, UCLA this year blow out Hawaii. They were a 37-point favorite, so 27-point favorite. They won by 34. Nothing really I would take as an LSU coaching staff. If it's not brand new, I wouldn't take anything from it. Um, lots of talent on that UCLA team that can score. Obviously, you've got Chip Kelly as coach. They've got a mobile quarterback. Their run game looked tremendous, so LSU is going to have to bow their backs against that. Um, I expect the crowd to be 50-50, which is going to be probably advantage LSU, where – UCLA, it's not going to be USC. If they were playing home and home versus USC, the Coliseum would be packed to the roof um, with with uh, scarlet and gold. But because they're playing um, UCLA, not really a football atmosphere, it might be 50-50 LSU. It may even be 55-45 or 60-40 LSU uh, by the time our fans, LSU's fans, goes and buys off the UCLA sites and stuff. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, LSU's two and a half point favorite. I would pick them to cover, win it by 10. Um, you know, you say they have a great defense. I would say 37-27 LSU. Uh, lots of rushing touchdowns on both sides. Both secondaries can play. Uh, I don't think Ed O'Ron's going to want to put Max Johnson in the air raid matchup early. So I think a lot of running the ball. Um, so I would say 37-27 LSU covers and wins in L.A. and comes back home. Uh, quarterback watch, Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler, projected number one overall pick, is playing Tulane. They are 31 and a half point favorites. I am going to go with Tulane to cover. Oklahoma to win, Tulane to cover. Um, so they're going to win by less than 31 and a half. I think they're going to win by three touchdowns, which would be 21, which would be nowhere near the cover. Um, Tulane's a better program than they are giving credit for nationally. Uh, but again, Spencer Rattler is going to be on display if you're interested in watching the future number one overall pick. And Penn State's playing Wisconsin in another huge Big Ten opening week game. Wisconsin's five and a half point favorite. I am going to pick Wisconsin to win that game, but not cover uh, something along the lines of 27-24. I would have Wisconsin in that game to finish off the massive opening weekend. Um, and then Notre Dame's going to play Sunday night, and then there's even a game Monday night. I can't think who's playing Monday night, but, you know, there's some huge games all weekend. That was the Saturday slate. Sunday and Monday are going to be games as well. College football is back. Pack stadiums. I cannot wait. Um, so all you guys and gals, pull out your college colors and support your team. Uh, personal note for me, Southeastern is playing. Um, Southeastern is playing Saturday as well. It's supposed to be a her a home game, but due to Hurricane Ida in the area, uh, it's turned into a road game. So keep your eye on Southeastern playing their opening game as well. Project the NFL quarterback Cole Kelly, reigning Walter Payton Player of the Year. Uh, which is the FCS Heisman, is going to be on display in that game as well. Line up. Uh, keep your eye on that.
but up next we're going to shift to the nba and talk about what's going down there Welcome back into the show and now we are going to talk about the NBA and what is going down there. Um, big news out of the NBA was vaccination protocols. Um, I know that is huge in the NFL. You know, we had the multiple guys threatening basically to quit of the NFL enforced mandated vaccines and uh, ultimately, the NBA, NFL didn't do that, but they enforced harsher penalties, etc. Where the NBA is, is also not going to force you to get the vaccine, but they will um, listen to local legislation and they will have much harsher standards of living, basically, for unvaccinated players. So the big news and why this became a thing on the show was San Francisco, New York City and Canada has laws in place that will prevent an unvaccinated player from playing in the game. Why? Those cities are mandating that only vaccinated people can enter indoor sporting arenas. Obviously, basketball is played inside. Well, if you're unvaccinated and you can't enter the arena, clearly you can't play. Now, that is a problem for unvaccinated players on the other 26 NBA franchises, because obviously there's two in New York City. So in the other 20 NBA franchises of you can't play road games in against the Warriors, against the Nets, against the Knicks, or against the Raptors, because the Raptors are planning to play in Toronto this upcoming season, you can't play in those road games. It's even more problematic if you're on those teams because you play half your games, over half your games in those cities. So think about it. If you're a Warriors player and you're unvaccinated and you've decided I'm going to stay unvaccinated, you can't play in 45, 46 out of 82 games. Same thing if you're a Net, same thing if you're a Nick, same thing if you're a Raptor. So with those, with that being said, that is huge, um, not being able to play. Now, certain guys would probably look at it and go, look, if I play in the East, that's Golden State 1, New York City 3, 4 maybe, Toronto three or four. That's eight games a year. I automatically have off. I just won't play in those games. Most guys rest eight to ten games, especially stars. Anyway, we don't know how many stars are unvaccinated, uh, but stars usually rest anywhere from eight to twelve games anyway. So I just take those eight to twelve games off automatically on my resting schedule. You know, so that could be an attitude, but that is huge news. The fact you won't even be allowed in the buildings. You can't even sit on the you know, can't even sit in the building on the bench. You you won't be allowed in even with a mask if you're not vaccinated. Huge news. Um, and for the NBA guidelines, vaccinated and unvaccinated players will have different locker room sections spread out as far as humanly possible. So they're gonna put the unvaccinated guys into the corner. You know, the vaccinated guys are gonna be on one side of the locker room, and the unvaccinated guys, as far as they can stretch them. We'll be on the other side of the room. Uh, so it'll be very obvious who's vaxxed and who's unvaxxed. First preseason game when the media comes in, you're going to be, oh, okay. Uh, if you're a Laker, Wayne Ellington and Kendrick Nunn are in the corner and the other 10 guys are all by themselves. Wayne Ellington and Kendrick Nunn aren't vaccinated. Um, so that's going to be something that's going to be interesting. Um, they must eat, fly planes, and ride buses in different sections or separately entirely. Um... And this is trying to avoid close contact spreading. 
Um, but they, if, they, if you're in a cafeteria setting, again, the unvaxxed guys must be pushed to the corner, basically. And the vaccinated guys are on the other side of the room. Same thing with the bus. They're in the back. The unvaccinated guys are in the back. The vaxxed guys are in the front. On the plane, same thing. You know, they must be spread out as far as humanly possible. Obviously, sideways in the furthest, you must go front back. Usually, in most situations, are the furthest way possible. Um, unvaccinated players must test on game days and practice days. Um, vaccinated guys will not test for COVID unless deemed necessary. So unless you are a close contact with someone with COVID or they have arguments coming down with symptoms, then you will be tested. If you are just walking around and you're not close contact and you're not being to have symptoms, you won't be tested at all. So that as opposed to the NFL testing unvaccinated every day and vaccinated weekly, the NBA won't test you at all unless they have a good reason to, whether you are close contact or you're showing symptoms. Unvaccinated players face a mandatory seven-day quarantine for close contact. Vaccinated players will not have to have quarantine at all. They will just get tested. They test negative. They can keep living their life. Uh, now, these aren't final. These are not final decisions. Um, they're still being negotiated by the, NF the NBA and the NBPA, as opposed to whether, whether this will be legislated and official or not. But this is something that... Um, it is going to be definitely looked out for in the future. You know, they're, they're getting rid of the bench mandate where you have to have the cool down section. And you saw how they had basically two, two, they had the benches spread out and then they had this little side area where you didn't have to wear a mask. It was called the cool down area. Um, so they're getting rid of that. Traditional bench will be brought back. So the traditional camera crew is going to be brought back. The NBA is going to come back to pretty much normal. You may still see masks on the bench. I'm not sure with the legislation on that. I haven't read anything or seen anything about it. Um, but, you know, you're going to see the NBA sideline look fairly normal again. There is, there is a fan thing. Regardless of the area, fans within 15 feet of the court have to be vaccinated. Regardless of the area, so regardless of the arena, so courtside seats and probably the first three or four rows have to be vaccinated um, to, to be even be able to purchase and sit in those seats. So that is something regardless of arena that is going to have to be done. I did see that. Um, player news. Paul Millsap signed with the Brooklyn Nets with LaMarcus Aldridge likely to join. I find it interesting. The narrative, the Nets signed these players, older players, 36 and above. And they were deemed as good veteran signings. The Lakers did it. And they're the LAARP team. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I, I just want to know what's what what's the narrative. Are these players old? Or are they good veterans? I just want to know. We're going to evaluate that at the end of the season. We're going to keep our eye on that. You know, the Dallas Mavericks had a workout that featured Isaiah Thomas, Monte Ellis, and Lance Stevenson. Um, it's clear they're looking for ball handling help to give alleviate Luka. From having to create everything on offense all the time. Those three guys are known creators, known dual threat passers and scorers. Not the greatest defenders. Dallas seems to not worry about that at the moment. They worked out those three guys. And of course, the Ben Simmons drama is progressing. Um, he's willing to go anywhere per reports. Uh, Chris Broussard said that on first things first, that Ben's willing to go anywhere. And I've heard it as well. Um, reportedly, Rich Paul wants Tyree, Tyrese Maxey off the Sixers as well. If they move Ben Simmons, he wants all close clients away from Philadelphia at the moment. 
and potential landing spots have been discussed. Right now, Sacramento is not really a big-time player as they have refused to include Tyrese Halliburton or De'Aaron Fox in the trade discussions. Damian Lillard and Portland Trailblazers seem to be off the table as well as Philly's going after Dame, but Dame's not being making himself available. And the Sixers don't seem to be progressing towards any kind of TJ McCollum deal. The Golden State Warriors aren't really making Jonathan Kuminga and others available in trade talks. So right now, it seems Ben's not going to go to training camp. The Sixers aren't willing to move him. They're not willing to do what the Rockies did, which finally say, forget it and move him to his team he wants to go to. And, you know, they're willing to make it uncomfortable. I think, for the betterment of everybody, cut ties and move on. But, of course, that hasn't been done. So we're going to see what the 76 decide to do in the near future. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk about the surging Los Angeles Dodgers. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a discussion on those surging Dodgers. Remember before the season, I talked about the Dodgers and I said, man, this roster is stacked to the heavens. All they have to do is maintain health and they're going to win 110 games, 115 games. Who knows? And uh, it turns out that they struggled and they're not going to get to that number. But then they acquired Max Scherzer. They got Trey Turner. Now they're in first place with the NL West for the first time in months, if not all season. And they are absolutely surging. Um, that team is ridiculous. That's my World Series pick. I expect the Dodgers to be hoisting the trophy again at the end of the season. That team's insane. You're not hearing about Clayton Kershaw wearing down. You're not hearing about, you know, staff injuries. You're not hearing about... You know, the usual story you start to hear about the Dodgers right around playoff time. You're not hearing any of that. The Dodgers are absolutely rolling. Like I said, they're first in the NL West, which means they're going to be either, they're probably first or second in the, in, the, in the conference, which means they won't have to play a wild card and they'll get extra chance to rest. This is perfect for the Dodgers in order to repeat for their World Series if they can maintain first place uh, throughout the rest of the season. You know, first, it, it's, it's un understatable for you to um have a team in first place of the conference supposed you know as opposed to first wild card because you don't have to play that wild card game what if your pitcher has a bad night you know you're out and you're one of the most talented teams but you're out as opposed to now you have breathing room everything you're going to play is a series and the dodgers are perfectly set up to go win another world series you know you look at teams like the yankees the red sox you look at the giants who are in their division the padres are starting to struggle are struggling uh, you look at the other teams, the Brewers, you know, can play, but they don't have the star power the Dodgers have. I'm going to pick the Dodgers to win a World Series. I'm going to stamp my name on it now. I have an official prediction before the playoffs start. But right now, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Dodgers are the favorite to win the World Series. And I don't see many teams standing in front of their way with that kind of roster. Pitching and defense wins. They have greatness of both. And Mookie Betts isn't really playing. So I'm going to go Dodgers right now. Um, definitely, guys, hit me back if you have a different opinion about this. But I don't see how anybody's going to stop the Dodgers. But that is all we have for today. Uh, I'm glad you guys were able to join me today. 
I hope you guys have a great rest of your Friday. Um, This is your host, Justin Jackson. And remember to follow Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports for breaking news and updates. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Now, this is your host, like I said, Justin Jackson, signing out.